listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome to this week's edition of America's Voice for Energy. Each week I have an opportunity through this show to enhance the topic of my weekly column by interviewing relevant guests, experts on the topic. And today our first guest is actually the reason I wrote this week's column. And uh, this week's column addresses what I found to be an interesting angle because we've got going on in Washington, D.C. right now, you know, obviously a lot of politics, a presidential election, and we keep hearing about the establishment, the establishment, the establishment. And people kind of wonder, who in the heck is really the establishment? But, you know, regardless of who you think it might be, I think we would all agree that the establishment includes longtime Washington politicians like Senators Harry Reid, D. Nevada, Bill Nelson, D. Florida, Ron Wyden, D. Oregon, John Thune, R. South Dakota, Orrin Hatch, R. Utah, and Mitch McConnell, R. Kentucky. Now, why am I mentioning them? Because all of them are involved in the topic of this week's column uh, that I wrote. And our first guest is the impetus for that. My column I titled, The Establishment is Slow to Learn, Senate Republicans Pushing for More Green Pork. Well, I became aware of this topic because Chrissy Harbin, who is Director of Federal Affairs and Strategic Initiatives with Americans for Prosperity, sent out a request for me to sign on to a coalition letter about this issue. And I, of course, agreed to sign on, representing both of the organizations that I lead. But her request alerted me to this issue. So, Chrissy, thanks for giving me that inspiration for this week's column and joining us today for, I think, the first time on America's Voice for Energy. Hey, Marita, thanks for having me on, and, and thanks so much for your partnership on this really important issue. Yeah, so tell us, what, where, where did this come from? How did this percolate up through, through the Senate, and, and uh, what is the issue? Absolutely. Well, first, it's, I think it's interesting when you were talking about the players, the people, the senators who are really pushing this, because we see people on the left and the right. We have Republican and Democrats pushing for uh, these green energy policies. And, and really, that's a, the surprising thing here. Uh, that there's a bipartisan support for green energy subsidies. Uh, what's really happening here is um, really the Senate is considering a piece of legislation that has nothing to do with green energy subsidies. Uh, it has to do with reauthorizing the FAA, the Federal Aviation Administration. Um, so what, what's really concerning is in order to get support for the FAA reauthorization, uh, members of Congress banded together uh, to put together a package that would add these green energy subsidies that an alarming number of Senate Republicans and Democrats support. And so there's a lot of outside opposition to um, deals like this. There's a lot of outside opposition to 
subsidies and mandates for energy because uh, they have a lot of problems and taxpayers have had very little of their seen very little return on their forced investment in the, through the years. And so that's why Americans for Prosperity is proud to partner with a lot of groups like yours, like a lot of organizations like uh, Freedom Partners, Americans for Tax Reform, the American Conservative Union, in really calling out deals like this and urging Congress to oppose putting these what is essentially green pork on an unrelated legislation. Yeah, when I read what you had sent out, uh, it, it really, uh, really angered me. And because it, it's like, do they not realize that this is the kind of stuff that has made America so angry with the political system right now, taking this totally unrelated bill and sticking something in like that? And, you know, the green energy has not had good headlines lately. It seems like a really bad time to try to put that on, put that in. And I've addressed green energy, what I call, I've written more on what I call President Obama's green energy crony corruption scandal, more than I think any other single entity out there. And uh, so looking at them wanting to continue more of these green energy subsidies was baffling to me. Absolutely. And it's, it's baffling, especially when you consider... Uh, that Congress recently uh, extended and expanded some major uh, subsidies to wind and solar industries. Yeah, to uh, the anger of many conservatives. Absolutely, uh, as recently as in December. Uh, and what Congress did was they, they, at the end of this past year, they agreed to a deal that would, in exchange for lifting the ban on crude oil exports, which Americans for Prosperity strongly supported, uh, Congress would uh, extend and expand these the main handouts to the wind and solar energy industries, which was the production tax credit, the PTC, and the investment tax credit, the ITC. Uh, Well, what we're hearing, uh, what we had heard leading up to this week um, on Capitol Hill is a lot of people saying that uh, these smaller green energy subsidies were left out of the package. but it's our it's our percept, uh, our position here at Americans for Prosperity that these were wisely left out, wisely and intentionally left out of the tax extender package that was considered uh, this past December. And we actually issued a letter of support for the tax extender package uh, because it it made a lot of important tax provisions permanent and laid the groundwork to uh, doing comprehensive tax reform later this later this year. So those are some good efforts, and we were we were happy to applaud the tax extender package, uh, and we were happy that many of these provisions were left out. So that's why we were so disappointed to see Congress try to resurrect them um, just in, at this time of the year, just four months afterwards. Yeah, well, my little column that I wrote has been all over the place. You've had emails sent out and, and calls to action. The others, others who lead some of the other organizations that are signers on this letter also have, have had efforts. Um, so what's happened on this? Well, it's interesting. We're seeing a lot of movement um, this afternoon. It's uh, current. It's Tuesday afternoon today, um, and what we saw would just uh, happen in the Senate is that due to waning support among uh, Senate Republicans for this for this deal for attaching green energy uh, tax extenders to the transportation package, uh, and also increasing opposition on the 
um, House side to a similar deal, um, these conversations derailed. And at this point, um, at, at this time of this of our of our conversation right now, Marita, there is yeah, which um, is why it's important to list this because the show airs Thursday, and and it's important to say, all right, at this point today, Tuesday afternoon, this is where we are. Absolutely. So at this point, uh, these talks have derailed, and it's largely due to overwhelming opposition among outside organizations like yours and mine. Um, but, the, you know, it's not over yet. You know, the, the Senate still has to – they still haven't passed legislation reauthorizing uh, the FAA, and it's so important to, one, remind your senators – you know, for folks at the grassroots level, it's so important to remind their senators that they oppose this deal, to thank the people who uh, were leaders in opposing it, uh, such as uh, Jeff Flake, uh, Senator, uh, Senator Flake, Senator Lee, uh, Senator Sessions as well, uh, and also Senator Lankford. Uh, those four senators actually sent a letter to uh, Leader McConnell and Minority Leader Reid encouraging them to oppose adding green pork uh, to the FAA deal. Um, and it's important to uh, support efforts on the House side. Uh, so the House is going to take up legislation reauthorizing the FAA uh, later this month, and it's really important to encourage them to be stronger than the Senate in um, keeping all these green energy tax extenders off the package. So is there any chance at this point that it ends up back in the Senate? Because, as you said, they haven't voted on it yet. Is that correct? That's correct. They haven't. They're still processing amendments. There's a lot of attention on this legislation uh, because it's the only must-pass piece of legislation that Congress needs to consider before uh, September. So there is a lot of interest among outside organizations to put their pet priorities on this bill in the green energy sector and elsewhere. Um, so that's something that we're closely monitoring. Uh, one thing I've learned from, you know, my time in Washington is never say never. Uh, so <laughs> I, it's, it's, it's unclear to know whether this deal will stay dead uh, or if it will come back, if, you know, if it will resurrect itself in, in some form, uh, perhaps in a conference committee or perhaps in some amendments on the House side. That's why it's so important uh, for folks to reach out to their senators and their representatives and encourage them. Uh, to oppose these green energy programs because they're uh, they have because they have a lot of problems. This is very clearly um, just this is essentially corporate welfare welfare for special interests in the green energy industry, and they have routinely failed to deliver on their promises in terms of economic viability and long term job creation. Yeah, so before we run out of time, we've, we've still got a couple minutes left, but before we run out of time, I want to make sure that for our listeners that they know where to go uh, to contact their representatives. And you've got a, a site dedicated to this at Americans for Prosperity. So why don't you give us that address? Absolutely. To learn more on uh, this issue and many other energy issues, uh, go to americansforprosperity.org. We have a button on the top part of our page that uh, makes it really easy for people to take action, to contact their members of Congress uh, on the Senate side and the House side. Uh, we've had an action alert going uh, on this issue 
um, on, on, the, on this issue on the Senate side, encouraging members of Congress to oppose this green pork package. Uh, and we started this in the middle part of last week, and just in the course of the, over the weekend, nearly a 1,000 Americans for Prosperity activists sent a note to their members of Congress to urge them to oppose. So it's so important. Just go to americansforprosperity.org and then click the Take Action button, and then I'll put you in the right direction. Well, great. Yeah, it's it's amazing to me. I mean, that's part of why I felt like I had to list the names of the Republican senators involved because as I've addressed green energy repeatedly over the past several years, it, it is in general a very partisan issue. And a few weeks back I wrote a column addressing the, the uh, energy views of the political candidates, the remaining five candidates, and they they were so... Uh, different, the Republicans versus the Democrats. Both the Democrats were pretty similar, and all three of the Republicans were pretty similar, but it's, it tends to be uh, a really partisan issue, which I think is a shame that energy is a partisan issue, but the Democrats are so green, and the Republicans support fossil fuels. We've got about 30 seconds left, Chrissy. Well, um, at Americans for Prosperity, we oppose subsidies and mandates across the board. Uh, as you know, Maria, we're a grassroots organization, and so we're really focused on promoting policies that bring affordable and reliable energy solutions to uh, hardworking Americans. So uh, that's one reason why we're really happy to partner with organizations like yours in opposing these green energy subsidy programs, which are essentially just corporate welfare. Yeah, and that's that, that's a real key focus of my work as well. So thanks for joining us. We've been talking with Chrissy Harbin, who is the Director of Federal Affairs and Strategic Initiatives for Americans for Prosperity. Please stay with us for our next segment, and we'll be right back with America's Voice for Energy. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call. And I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF. A nonprofit organization is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. 
Support USJF as they support you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. I'm Marita Noonan. In this segment, we're going to be talking with Andrew Langer, who is the president of the Institute for Liberty and the host of LangerCast on the Realm Network. I reached out to Andrew because he, like me, is one of the signatories on the letter that we discussed in our last segment with Chrissy Harbin, the letter to the Senate Finance Committee to encourage them not to put these tax extenders on this FAA reauthorization bill, which, as she shared with us, um, apparently we've been successful at. We don't want to count our chickens before they hatch because anything could happen uh, on the Hill until it's a kind of signed, sealed, and delivered. But Andrew, our next guest, uh, wrote a piece that was published in the American Spectator about, you know, kind of why he signed this letter. And it didn't necessarily say why I signed this letter, but in this piece were his reasonings. And so we want to talk about that in this segment. So, Andrew, it's a treat to have you with me today on America's Voice for Energy. Bob, I'm very happy to be here. Great. So tell me first, what is LangerCast on the Realm Network? Well, you know, this is the, the third iteration of, of a series of podcasts that I've done, but, but about two years ago, just over two years ago, uh, I was asked to join uh, the Realm Network, which is a, a podcast network uh, started by uh, three sort of mainstream media prudent, uh, uh, professionals, uh, two of whom had longstanding careers in radio, one on TV, uh, to bring a right-of-center perspective. Uh, they have a a show put on by two guys who write for the Huffington Post. And so they asked me to sort of bring my conservo-libertarian sensibilities. I, I worked with these guys on a couple of radio shows before, so um, they, they asked me to do it. it, it you know, we do it about an hour and a half every week, uh, focusing on politics and policy and pop culture. Uh, civil conversation for civil society is what, uh, what we call it. I, I work with a guy named Jerry Rogers. Uh, we really try to talk about the big issues of the week. We're going to be talking about this on the show this week uh, later on, about um, uh, the effort by the 20 attorneys general around the country uh, to stifle uh, dissenting skeptical speech. Yes. Uh, the, the subpoena served on the Competitive Enterprise Institute. Uh, and, and then we talk a little bit about ourselves. We really try to <coughs> – sorry. We really try to humanize. Uh, politics and policy for folks who may be interested, uh, who want to learn more about people and organizations, and to really uh, reduce the space between um, uh, those who are out there in the activist community and those who are engaged in uh, in politics and policy. Yeah. Now, do you have guests on, on your show, on your podcast as well, I assume? Uh, <coughs> yeah, we do from time to time, and I, I apologize for, for coughing there. Oh, we do from no, time no to worries. Time. I was trying. I was trying to give you a little time to uh, no, get no, a sip no. of water or whatever. Because for my yeah. for my show here, America's Voice for Energy, I do four different guests a week in a one hour show, and sure. um, you know it's kind of the it's kind of the pain of my existence, frankly, because it's so difficult to get my guests lined up. It, it's well, it's like almost the hardest thing I do. I mean, of course, I put about twelve hours a week into each and every column that I write. So that's really the, you know, that's the focus of what I do. But the getting the guests lined up is tough. 
and, and, and being your own producer is always a difficult thing. We we tend to if we're going to do I don't have to guests, do that fortunately. Yeah, what we tend to do is we will go and do it at an organization. So we'll go to CEI or the Mercatus Center or uh, American Commitment, uh, and we'll sit down with the folks who are there and, and really do it that way. Sometimes we do call-ins. Uh, we've done that a handful of times. Um, but uh, otherwise, yeah, we have folks who will come and find us wherever we're recording. I, uh, my co-host and I will either record live in D.C., or we'll do it via, via Skype. And, and so, yeah, there, there's all sorts of, of, of different ways that, that we do it, but we tend to do it straight up like a radio show. Everybody does these things differently. Uh, I used to do a lot of stuff where it was pre-production, and that worked out uh, for, for one of the iterations. Uh, I did a show where we did it as a live streaming show, and I thought that was kind of less successful. Uh, I think you lose, you, you gain certain things with live streaming. You, you lose certain things as well. And the latest format is we, we do the pre-record, but we do it straight through in an hour and a half and, and, uh, and set it up that way. But, uh, yeah, we've been doing it. We're, we're, we're almost uh, at 100 shows. We're trying to figure out what we're going to do for our uh, 100th show spectacular next month. Haven't quite uh, decided yet. Well, great. Well, I appreciate that. And before we move back to our, our designated topic, how do people find this, the Realm Network? Well, actually, it's, it's real simple. Just uh, uh, go to www.langercast.com, uh, and the okay. show will pop up. You can also uh, find it on iTunes. Uh, Langercast is two words. Uh, and, yeah, the last week's show, uh, 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 Rush Limbaugh is Wrong About Donald Trump, uh, is, is a fun one. Uh, really, we, we've hit our stride, especially in the last month's uh, worth of shows. Uh, they're, really, they're, they're really worth a listen. Well, great. I appreciate that. Now, before we run out of time, we've still got about eight sure. minutes here to go. Great. Let's go to the, the topic at hand here, and this is this green pork topic and the Senate and the FAA reauthorization bill. And, uh, you know, what do you think? I mean, to me, as I said with Chrissy in the last segment, is I've written so much on green energy issues over the past years. I think I've written more than any other single entity out there on what I call President Obama's green energy crony corruption scandal. And I, as I write on these issues, I see that it's, it's generally very partisan, with the Democrats generally supporting green energy and the Republicans generally supporting economic energy, which means fossil fuels. So I was really surprised to see the Republicans on board on this idea. Well, you know, you, you, up on Capitol Hill, they call these things Lulus, uh, you know, gimmies, uh, trying to find ways to uh, induce uh, Democrat support or, or the support of, of the opposition on something. Uh, the, the problem, of course, is that we've been to this dance before on a whole host of issues, not just uh, on the issue of, of what happens when we try to bring Democrats on board uh, in in these sorts of situations or when Republicans try to bring Democrats on board. It really doesn't get them anything in the, in the long term. Uh, but, but certainly with regards to Republicans and spending or Republicans and pork, uh, we, we've, we've seen this before. We know how this movie ends. Uh, and so the piece that I just wrote in The American Spectator was sort of revisiting the circumstances that led to the Republican defeat back in 2006, uh, which, which had to do with Republicans, uh, certain Republicans, issuing uh, their fiscal conservatism uh, and instead sort of engaging in this cronyism whole hog. And I, and I mean that with pun intended. Uh, the idea <laughs> that, uh, 
that that you know they 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 had these folks have become the the party of appropriators. They were out for their uh, their own benefit, uh, and and so you know you have a situation where this is you know where the left and right should agree. The left and right do agree on the issues of um, uh, they agree on the issues of of crony capitalism, or they call it corporate welfare. Except Democrats have never met for whatever reason. They are against inexpensive energy, despite the fact that we all know that the more expensive you make energy, uh, the more it harms the poor in a whole host of ways. But they've never met right. a, a, an expensive energy technology that they didn't absolutely love. And, and let me tell you something. It, it disturbs me uh, when we sort of talk about these green energy boondoggles because at the same time, these same Democrats are pushing for the dismantling of inexpensive green hydroelectric power out west, which is just insane. Yes. And, and so, you know, it, it really is they, – they, they, it's funny, because I got into it with somebody today about Republicans and environmental science. And yet you have these Democrats who seem to operate under this idea that you can have these uh, – you can have a limitless energy – uh, and it will cost you know you nothing, which is which is hogwash. Uh, we know that the only ex- energies that are that are inexpensive are those that are carbon based, uh, and, and that uh, otherwise you know you're you're talking about really risky technologies uh, around the world. Yeah, it's interesting you mentioned that. I wrote a piece a couple weeks ago um, after Hillary Clinton announced that she's going to kill jobs in coal mining and put coal companies out of business. I wrote a piece based on a study that, if you haven't seen, you'd be very interested in the study out of the University of Chicago. The authors were philosophically aligned with Hillary Clinton on climate change, but yet they conclude that we're going to be using fossil fuels for decades to come. And when you read it, you can just kind of hear the dismay in their voice. And so when I wrote my column about Hillary Clinton's comments, I kind of said the same thing you said. She calls, the, you know, those, those of us who, uh, she calls us deniers, those of us who support fossil fuels. And they, she accuses us of ignoring the science. But yet, when you look at her energy policies, she's ignoring the science that this uh, study brought out. So it's interesting that you mentioned that. Well, I mean, she's also she's also ignoring just the, the general science of, of of chemistry and ignoring history. Uh, you know, carbon is is the 15 month most abundant element on on Earth. It, it or, I'm sorry, the fourth most abundant element in the universe after hydrogen, helium, and oxygen. And there's a reason why we've used carbon based energy as a species for well on well at least 15,000 years, right? Uh, of so. We started getting uh, civilizations forming, and obviously for, for, for thousands of years before that, uh, you know, that's what it's there for. You know, you, you take carbon and you burn it in a variety of ways. Obviously, uh, um, you know, coal came along much later, but the fact is, you know, we've used these energies, why? Because they're readily accessible, uh, which makes them uh, inexpensive, and they are abundant. Uh, and so the idea that we're going to sort of turn our back on the fourth most abundant element in the universe uh, in order to satisfy someone's weird anti-scientific political agenda uh, is, well, I mean, that, that's, that's, you know, patently wrong-headed. Yeah, it, it is. And, and so I'm so pleased that our combined efforts um, 
I believe, made a difference in the Senate, that apparently today they've backed off of this because they don't have the support for it. Well, and I, and I think really, you know, the piece that, that you wrote, the, the piece that I wrote, um, and not, you know, sort of not to toot my own horn, but really to toot yours, sort of laying it out as to, as to why this was politically dumb and, and dumb from a policy perspective, uh, that may very well have, as well as the letters that you and I uh, uh, signed and sent up to the Hill, uh, the work of, of our friends at AFP, at Chrissy Harbin, um, I think that sent a message to the Hill that this is not something that can be just blithely ignored. Uh, now, we'll see what happens in conference. We'll see what happens down the road. But at least uh, this skirmish action, I think, was fought successfully. Yeah, and I want to encourage our listeners to continue to reach out to your representatives in the House because uh, they'll be voting on it perhaps later this week or earlier next week. Andrew, we've got just about 30 seconds left. Tell us about the Institute for Liberty. Yeah, we're, a, uh, we're an ad- advocacy organization uh, based both in Washington, D.C. and Williamsburg, Virginia. Folks can check us out online at uh, ichooseliberty.org, uh, I Choose Liberty on Facebook, and uh, I Choose Liberty on Twitter. Well, good. Well, I appreciate it. Thanks so much for your time today, Andrew. And, and uh, now that we've bonded here, I hope we'll have you back on America's Voice for Energy more frequently. Thank you very much, and I appreciate you letting me uh, catch my breath there for a second. And uh, no worries. Hope hope you're feeling fine. And folks, stay I with am. Us. we'll be back. We'll be back with America's Voice for Energy in just a moment. Quick stakes. That's Q-U-I-K stakes are not just for surveyors. They are great for family and community gardens. Go online to www.quickstake.com or contact your local land surveying supply dealer and get you a box of quick stakes. You'll love them every year when you plant your garden. Again, that's quick stakes, Q-U-I-K stakes, the truly preferred way to stake and identify what's in your garden now. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. As we were talking about in our previous segments, we addressed this week the issue of green pork in Congress, the attempt of the Senate Finance Committee to attach a bunch of green energy tax extenders to the FAA aviation bill. Since we recorded yesterday, however, it has been announced that uh, they are not going to put this forward. In fact, Harry Reid, uh, bless his heart, credited our efforts, the group of us that got together and signed this letter, the more than 30 groups. And Reed says they're the ones who killed this bill. 
This is according to a report in The Hill magazine. So we're excited to have made a difference in policy in Washington, D.C. Of course, the House has not yet voted on this so we, we want to, you know, keep the pressure on. And to talk to us about this apparent victory and what this means on a bigger um, scale of things, we have Judson Phillips with us, and he is the founder of Tea Party Nation. So, Judson, thanks for joining us. I'm thrilled to make your acquaintance and have you as a guest on America's Voice for Energy. Hi, Marita. Hey, listen, thanks for having me. It's, 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 uh, I'm thrilled to be here with you today. It's, it's really an honor. Well, thank you. And so, you know, you've got a perspective on this that, you know, maybe we've won, maybe we haven't. What What's your unique perspective on this topic? You know, this is the frustration that I have, that a lot of conservatives have, that a lot of the grassroots have. When we lose an election, guess what? We lose really big because the other side just shoves everything down our throat. Think of Obamacare in 2010. When we win, guess what happens? We still lose because... Uh, if it weren't for the pressure of groups across the conservative spectrum that really uh, kind of tore up, uh, up some people like John Thune and some others, uh, they would have slid this in. And, you know, it's really, really frustrating. And maybe the most frustrating part about this at all is that Harry Reid, if I can use a baseball analogy here since baseball season just started, and, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying myself because I love baseball, but Harry Reid <laughs> just threw us a hanging curveball. And... If you know anything about baseball, you know, when, when, when a batter gets thrown a hanging curveball, they knock it out of the park. Well, we had a great opportunity here, and we just blew it because what should have happened is, you know, Harry Reid is, is backed by all these left-wing billionaires who want these green slush funds, which, by the way, they're not all altruistic. None of them are. This is helping their bottom line. This is crony capitalism at its worst. But, what, yes. but you know, Harry Reid's pushing this and pushing this on behalf of Tom Steyer and other left-wing billionaires. What Leader McConnell or one of the other Republicans should have got done is gone to the floor of the Senate when Harry Reid is pontificating and sat there and said, why is it so important that we are endangering the lives of millions of Americans who travel by airplane? Why are we endangering the sake of our uh, – why are we endangering our air traffic system and aviation safety in America just so you can help out some left-wing billionaires who backed your campaign? Why is this so important? I mean – this would have been great. This would have just totally destroyed their their whole green energy message. Oh, this is important. No, it's not. It's not worth. Yes, instead they instead, instead they continue to throw it back at those of us who fight for fiscal responsibility and say, you know, that we don't care about the planet, that we don't care about the environment. And you're right, uh, throwing it back at at them, had Mitch McConnell done that, would have certainly been a, a great way to deflate their argument. You know, uh, you know, why are we never on the attack? And, and this is just one thing that infuriates me. Uh, you know, I, I like people, my father got an all-expense-paid tour of Western Europe with a guy named George Patton in 1944 and 1945. <laughs> and Patton's theory was you are always on the attack. You never go on defensive. You are always on the attack. And guess what? Patton beat the German army that way. Well, why aren't we on the attack? I mean, the grassroots are always on the attack, but the leadership that we have, the Republicans in the Senate and the House, these guys are never on the offensive. And no wonder we lose these things. This, is, this was the perfect opportunity because, like I said, Harry Reid and the left gave us a hanging curveball. 
we could have taken this one and run them up one side and down the other with it. We could have embarrassed and humiliated them. Uh, even the left-wing media, I think, would have had to pick it up that you know they're endangering the safety of Americans uh, by endangering the FAA, which, by the way, is an essential uh, is an essential uh, government agency. Uh, it's a perfectly yeah. constitutional government agency because aviation is, by definition, interstate commerce. But we had this wonderful opportunity, and we sat there and blew it. So what's going to happen? Uh, they're going to look for another opportunity to slide this in somewhere under the radar, preferably when something else is going on, because, you know, you remember the words of Rahm Emanuel, uh, never let a good crisis go to waste, and the Democrats are just very adept at that. And instead of pushing back and just killing this, all we've done is they just made a they they've made a very brief tactical withdrawal, and they're going to stick it on the next must-pass piece of legislation. Yes, and I agree with you, but I I'm at least optimistic that um, you know as I quoted this article the, from the Hill, this this Harry Reid quote that we're the ones who killed this. This is why groups like yours and like mine and like the others who signed this this letter, um, this is why we're important. This is why we exist is because if groups like us were not out there watching this, being alert to what issues are um, trying to be snuck through and then push providing pushback, and in many cases, I believe, we provide um, – what the representatives and senators that we would call the good ones, we provide them cover because they get a lot of pressure, as I'm sure you know. They get a lot of pressure from all sides to go with bills that in their heart they know they shouldn't do. But their colleagues and other groups give them pressure, and we provide them with a, a level of cover that, um, you know, we can say, they can say, oh, you know, I've had calls, I've had emails i've gotten such response my my voters don't want me to pass this you know something like that do you agree oh absolutely absolutely we do that and but here's the other thing that we don't do really well you know uh we will get up and 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 i say we conservatives will get up there and we'll scream on social media we will you know uh go to tea party meetings or other things like that but what we don't do is contact our congressmen and our senators if, you know, now, if you're in a state like Texas, for example, uh, it's a little hard to do this because Texas is so big. But it doesn't matter where you are. There is absolutely no reason why you are not on a first-name basis with your congressman. You should know your congressman. You should know your congressman's staff. You can get to know your senator's staff so that, uh, you know, you can just call in their, their, their main number and say, Hi, my name is John, and I oppose green energy slush funds. Okay. That's going to go down as a little checklist on a, on a phone log. Okay, John called. He doesn't like green energy slush funds. Big deal. If you are on a first-name basis with your congressman and your congressman does an event in the district, you walk up to your congressman and say, hey, congressman, my congressman happens to be Marsha Blackbird. Uh, I am on a first-name basis with her. Uh, I lived for a little while in, uh, uh, in Virginia, and Eric Cantor, a uh, former congressman was my congressman, and I was on a first-name basis with him, although I will say I think the name he chose for me was not the same name my parents gave me, but that's a separate story. But, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, and also it's something we probably can't repeat on the air either. But Yeah, yeah, probably we should keep that off the air. But the point with that being, you know, you as a citizen are not doing your job if your representatives are so clueless about your intents and your desires 
that they just have to listen to the lobbyists because they don't hear anything else. And that is why I, I, this is, I, I just beat this into people time and time again, just repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly. Get to know your congressman. Getting to know your congressman on a first-name basis is not hard. Start showing up at a few of their events. Go to Republican Party events, uh, and they will get to know you. Get to know their staff. Uh, know who uh, for congressman. Know who your district director is in their Washington office. Know who their legislative director, their LD is. Uh, get where you call them, and they know them on. They know you on a first-name basis. Trust me, your messages will get through to your congressman, and they will start carrying a lot of weight. If you and five others call up on almost any issue. Uh, other than something just truly huge, like, say, uh, an Obamacare repeal, for example. But if you and five others call up on these green energy tax extenders that we've been fighting so hard, for your congressman, that's like a tidal wave in the district because odds are on most bills they don't get a single phone call. So if we call up on these issues, call up and just say, look, we are really opposed to this. And, by the way, if you happen to be in a local group, Tea Party group, GOP group, conservative group, whatever, Call your congressman up and say, if it's, if it's a major issue like tax extenders, say, oh, by the way, we are grading you on this issue. We are going to give you a letter grade. Uh, and we're going to, you know, if you vote for tax extenders, we're going to give you an F on this one. And that's not going to look really, really good when you have a primary opponent uh, next fall or next spring in, in 2018 if it, or this year if, if your primary hadn't already happened. Yeah, and you've given great encouragement there. I think people feel, I enc- when I'm speaking, I encourage people to contact them as well. And even if they, they do just put a check mark down, but like you said, if they get a lot of calls, and obviously if you're on a first-name basis with your representative, that's obviously better. But even people who don't have that, just calling in and getting, your, getting that check mark in that column makes a difference. I think people are discouraged because they've – sent letters or contacted their, their representatives, uh, their lawmakers previously, and they get back. Um, I know in New Mexico, where both of our senators are Democrats, people will, will send them an email or, you know, I try to encourage people, do not send a letter. Do not send a letter. But oh, they'll never get a letter. These, no, no, exactly. But send an email or make a call. But when they send an email, they get, at it, they get back some perfunctory, you know, kind of letter back that doesn't even address the issue that they contacted them about. So I think people feel like their voice is not being heard. It doesn't make any difference. And, uh, but as you pointed out and as I encourage people is, you know, even if all they do is get, you know, 30 calls on this one issue and they don't know who you are but they put a checklist, if they get overwhelmed with calls, that, that intern who's answering the phone is going to say to their to their representative, "Hey, we we've, we've been overwhelmed with calls today on this issue, and um, I believe it does make a difference." Oh, absolutely! You know, you get ten calls on an issue in your average congressional district office; they're on the hotline to Washington saying, "Hey, our phones are blowing up on this issue." Uh, but here's something else: this is advanced political strategy 101 that everybody should know. First of all. Don't be a lone wolf. Be a part of a group, be a Republican group, Tea Party group, conservative group, whatever in your home area. Be a part of that group. Uh, But here's the other things that you can do that really makes a difference. And we've got about 45 seconds. All right. Invite your congressman or their director to every meeting or at least on a regular basis so they can update you. Be polite. There's something in the conservative movement I call the you suck crowd that all they want to do is run up to elected officials and scream, you suck. Now, don't do that. Sit down, have a rational conversation, and finally understand sometimes they're going to disagree with you. That doesn't make them the spawn of Satan if they do. 
Good information. Well, I'm glad that you and I have connected, Judson. You've got such good stuff to share. We're going to have you back uh, sometime when, when the issues are there again, but I appreciate your uh, participation on this issue and uh, that we can give ourselves a little bit of a pat on the back, at least that our, our efforts helped, helped uh, make Harry Reid un unhappy. Hey, that's a win, and anytime Harry Reid's unhappy, I'm ecstatic. <laughs> I'm with you there. We've been talking with Judson Phillips, founder of Tea Party Nation. Please stay tuned on America's Voice for Energy, and we'll be right back. Perhaps you are struggling to cope with the disease of addiction. If not, you probably know a family member or friend that needs help in battling the cravings and the personal and professional damage done by the effects of drugs or alcohol. Get a pen and paper and be ready to write down the following. These are the issues that the trained staff at the Atlanta Healing Center address and treat every day. Their doctors and counselors with over 40 years of practice in the field of addiction can treat the suffering individual in a thoughtful, compassionate, and experienced manner and guide him or her along the path to recovery. So call 770-696-9862 and speak to a knowledgeable staff member about how you or your loved one, can be helped to enjoy a better and healthier life. More information is also available on the website at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome to our closing segment of today's edition of America's Voice for Energy. We've been talking about green pork today. The idea of adding green energy tax extenders onto the FAA reauthorization bill. And in our final segment, we're going to be talking with Michi Iliazzi, who is the communications and policy manager with the Taxpayers Protection Alliance. Michi, thanks for joining us today on America's Voice for Energy. Thank you for having me, Maria. A pleasure to be here. You know, this is your first time with us, but I doubt that it will be our last because we have so many issues in common. While I specifically address energy issues, there is a huge crossover with taxpayers protecting taxpayers because it's our taxpayer dollars that go to fund all of these green energy issues. 
Yeah, it's a, it's a troubling trend, and, you know, we see it whether it's, uh, you know, the subsidies that solar is getting, whether you have the kind of subsidized uh, fuel in terms of ethanol that is, you know, causing a problem for the market. And then we also see it how, how it hurts taxpayers when, um, you know, there's a mass amount of regulation put on the industry as well that really harmed the kind of uh, energy sources that really help produce and create jobs and really make costs low for consumers who are consuming energy. So there is a lot of crossover on, the, on this issue. Yeah, you know, I, because you focus on this as well as I do, uh, help me with an answer. When I post my column, and my column is posted on every week on a large variety of sites, with the biggest ones being Breitbart.com, uh, Townhall.com, American Spectator, at Spectator.org, and RedState.com, not to mention many, many, many others. But I often get comments from people kind of attacking me about, you know, well, what about all the tax breaks that go to the oil and gas industry or tax benefits that go to the oil and gas industry? How would you address that from the view of the Taxpayers Protection Alliance? Well, I think when we talk about that issue, um, you know, we want to be very honest in, in what we're talking about, not compare apples with oranges. <clears throat> when, you, when you look at what is going on with solar and we see the kinds of billions of dollars being poured in to subsidies to prop up an industry versus an industry like natural gas and oil, which really are, 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 are you know, using their, uh, you know, money for research and development to be able to put money back into their industry, and then that money actually generates back into the U.S. economy. So it's one thing to say that one energy source, which is producing, which is which really amounts for most of the consumption in the United States, which actually amounts to very much a pr profitable industry, uh, profits that are, are used for research and development that go right back into the company, as opposed to a company like, you know, uh, solar panel manufacturers that use, um, you know, subsidies to be able to prop up their companies, prop up their industry. And, and it's very different because where you have one industry that's really barely hanging on, that isn't very much of the consumption of energy, we're talking about less than, you know, 2% after billions of dollars of subsidy versus a very traditional, very, um, you know, resourceful and very, well, uh, you know, used and reliable energy source. So I think that's the difference because a subsidy and 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 using, um, you know, uh, money to be put back in are two different things. Propping up an industry and an industry putting money back in for research and development are two different things. So I think we get really lost in the crosshairs of you know saying that one one is getting preferential treatment and the other is not when really it's oil and natural gas that are really feeling the heat from government in terms of regulatory policy that really really strains what they can do as opposed to solar, which really gets a lot. And wind, let's not forget about wind. Wind gets a lot of tax credits, and that's an industry where we've seen a lot of problems in terms of how they're able to handle their business model. So it's very different. Yeah, I agree, and you explained it well. I just I was curious from the you know your your t taxpayer protection alliance perspective because I'm sure as you obviously have that you you've gotten that kind of question and uh, it, it's it's um, you know uh, to me it's a big difference as you said one is contributing to the economy and getting 
standard cost of doing business tax breaks, the same type of tax breaks that any business, including wind and solar, would get, where the others are getting a, a true cash handout uh, of taxpayer dollars. And yet, even then, as we've seen with Abengoa, with Sun Edison, and with Ivanpah, even then they can't survive. Yeah, and I think it's fair to say that if the industries that government clearly doesn't favor with the kinds of regulatory policies we've seen on, you know, all kinds of energy like natural gas, like oil, coal industry for one, they wouldn't subsidize them if they had the chance because they're doing everything they can, as we've heard from Democrat politicians like, you know, Secretary Clinton and President Obama, that we want to put, quote, the coal industry out of business. So yet, you know, businesses like solar and wind we're going to give them subsidies till the cows come home, to pardon the pun. But, you know, that, that's kind of a clear difference there, too, in terms of how the industry is treated by the government. Yeah, so this bill that was in, um, in the Senate this, this week, uh, that by now we know the Senate has, at least for now, agreed to keep it a clean bill without these renewable tax credits uh, or, or subsidies as a part of the bill, what was it that they were looking at that you all as the Taxpayers Protection Alliance opposed? Yeah, I think the fact of the matter is, is that tax extenders in general should not even be included in a bill that is um, meant to, uh, you know, give the Federal Aviation Administration a reauthorization and a short-term reauthorization of that as they work on a larger deal because that is also a very complicated issue. Um, there, there, are, there are talks going on about how to restructure the agency, so putting tax extenders, which is, a number one, a completely different topic, is a problem. And we see this a lot with Congress on both sides of the aisle, Republicans and Democrats, is that this mad dash as the calendar really kind of closes in on everyone. Well, let's just do as much as we can and throw as much as we can in on these bills. And that creates a problem for taxpayers because, number one, we know that Congress probably won't read everything that's in it. And number two, we rarely do we find out what's in these kinds of bills until after they're already passed. And that can wait, mean- Wait, 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 wait. You said, you, you said Congress probably won't read the bill? I'm sorry. They, they likely, they won't read the bill. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, we can be tongue-in-cheek about it, and that's all fun and games, but in the end, when you have massive spending bills like we see last year, trillions of dollars, a lot of times we don't find out what's in them until well after. And then, and then we see that it has to do with a lack of oversight. It has to do with a lack of time taken, uh, spent on these issues that are important. Now, while the issues are issues that Congress should address, jumbling them together, putting together a very uh, short-term bill that will pass probably because people feel that they're under pressure to do something for the FAA to be reauthorized, that's not a way to do tax policy. And the other problem with that is is that the issue of tax extenders was addressed at the end of the year last year. And the tax extenders that we're talking about today that were shelved, um, thankfully, for now, these are tax extenders that were, were talked about, and Congress decided, you know what, we're going to have to shelve these because these are not things that, you know, we, we taxpayers should be approving of. So, you know, we saw these taxpayer or these tax extenders rejected, and then they brought them back again. And not only did they bring them back again, but they did it in a way that was, you know, kind of sneaky. I would say, you know, you put it into a bill. Yeah, I where, think so. 
Yeah, so I, I think that's the problem. There, there's a problem on many levels, but you know the 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 short the short explanation of it is these are two different issues. Let's not conflate them in order to get things passed just because there's a time crunch. I believe that they hoped that the public would never know about these tax extenders because the you know this this kind of shenanigans. I mean, I believe the sides do need to work together, and I understand that there's going to be some negotiation. I understand that to get the oil export ban lifted, um, that there had to be some give and take. Though, but I understand that. I didn't like it, but I understand that. But it's this right. kind of shenanigans, I think, of sneaking in something, you know, totally unrelated into a bill kind of at the, under pressure that is the exact thing, and that's what I brought up in my column, this is the exact thing that has propelled Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders into uh, the limelight because the American taxpayer is frustrated with this model of doing business in Washington, D.C. Yeah, I think you've touched on something that's really important, and I have to say that, um, you know, when I talk about you know, whatever issue it may be that Taxpayers Protection Alliance is working on, it's very obviously tough to get away from the 2016 presidential race. You know, we just put out a video on our site talking about tax day and with tax day coming up. But we also talked to, to about 2016 to folks on, here on, on the streets of Washington, D.C., just everyday Americans here on vacation. And I think it's important to, to note what you're saying, that the frustration that, that America has, that the taxpayer has with Washington, manifests itself in many different ways, whether it's the low approval ratings that Congress has right now, whether it's the absolute, um, you know, attention deficit disorder that the American public may have when con- when Washington is talking to them because they're just so fed up with what they're saying, or the rejection of business as usual, as some might call it, in favor of these more outsider candidates on both sides of the aisle. And I think that, you know, these are things where, um, you know, politicians of both sides of the aisle should really be paying attention because, in the end, it's the taxpayers who hold Congress accountable. It's the taxpayers who hold Washington accountable for what they do, the kind of money that they're spending, the kinds of deals that they're making. And, and obviously compromises and deals will be made, but that doesn't mean that they should be made in such a way where taxpayers don't know what's going on or even Congress doesn't even know what's going on. I think it's very important that uh, you know those two distinctions are, are made. Yeah, and certainly that involvement of the taxpayers – um, you know, we made a difference. Our efforts, I believe, made a difference in this bill's outcome. Harry Reid, um, in an article in The Hill today, blamed us that the, these extenders were not included. I mean, that's a, a huge badge of honor. for us. badge of honor. It is. It is. And I think it's something we can all use to encourage our constituencies. Look, folks, we make a difference. We make a difference. And, and I think it's important to remember that not only, you know, do, do you make a difference in groups like TPA and individuals like yourself and groups like all the ones that are represented? I, I think it's important to remember that we're speaking for individuals who actually do care about the process. They do care where their tax dollars are going. They are engaged in the issues, and they're paying attention to what Congress is doing and what they're not doing, by the way. So I think it's it's critically important for for us, you know, when we take these victory laps, because they are victories for taxpayers, to really remember that the work doesn't end there because there's always the next bill. 
the next there is always the next one yeah i mean i hate to, I, and I'm, I'm not trying to be pessimistic but it's always to be vigilant that's what's important to be vigilant on these issues and you know yep. all the work good re- good reminder michi we're out of time Yep, we're out of time, Michi. I appreciate you joining us. We've been talking with Michi Iliazzi, and he is the Communications and Policy Manager with Taxpayers Protection Alliance. You could just Google Taxpayers Protection Alliance, and you'll find their work there as well. Thanks for listening today to America's Voice for Energy, and please be sure to check in with us again next week on americaswebradio.com. Thanks for listening. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.